Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, though, I'm going to be talking about equipment and technology, gizmos and gadgets that are used as related to breastfeeding. This is really important because I get so many questions about these things from mothers as well as from professionals, and it's really important that people understand, first of all, most mothers don't need any or even a few of these gizmos, but some mothers really do need them or some babies need them. And so what I'd like to do is to help you get sorted out, really, the the goal for this program is How are these things going to facilitate the initiation and continuation of breastfeeding as opposed to, you know, just be another thing in the way sort of thing? So with that said, I want to tell you a little bit about what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do, what I'm going to talk about or not talk about today. So uh, first of all, let me just say there are many devices that are being sold as ways to help with breastfeeding. And honestly, some of them do, some of them don't. And some, we really don't know if they're helpful or harmful or just a waste of money. There's so many, many more devices on the market now than what there were five or 10 or 20 years ago. And there's no way we're going to be able to discuss all of them today. So I've picked the devices that I think you will be most likely to encounter, whether you're a mother or whether you're someone helping a mother to breastfeed. I should also tell you that I have absolutely no affiliation with any of these companies, okay? I know who they are. I know what they do. I have used their products, but uh, in terms of having any liaison with them uh, at present, I don't. As a matter of fact, in the past, I haven't either, for that matter. Uh, I have, however, used them successfully with clients. So I'm going to give you what I hope are some insights and just repeat for you then that the goal today is to help you to acquire the information you need in order to apply that information to individual situations where you're selecting, using, um, maybe avoiding or discontinuing that device. So I think I implied this, but I'll just say it again. I'm not going to cover everything. So if your favorite device isn't here, it doesn't mean I don't care about it. It doesn't mean that I don't think it's useful. It's just, there's just only so much time that we can get into this. Uh, When I teach this course live, I very often have the hands go in the air with What about, what about, what about, what about? And it's just not possible to address all of the whatabouts at this stage of the game. So anyway, let's start with nipple shields. 
Now, I did one entire segment on nipple shields some time ago, and I unpacked that much more than I'm going to be able to today. However, I'm going to go through this because there's more to be said now, and also that I feel like if I'm going to talk about these sorts of things, nipple shields is probably the number one question that I get about technology, equipment, gadgets, gizmos. Uh, nipple shields nowadays anyway are made of a thin silicone and there are different uh, models of them if you will there's sort of the classical ones and then there are what they call the contact ones because presumably the baby gets more contact with the mother's skin I'm not sure that I'm really excited about that but some people are uh, I'm going to tell you what the usual sizes are for the shields that have been on the market the most in the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. And that is 16 millimeter, 20 millimeter, or 24 millimeter. Now, that being said, I will absolutely tell you that there are, oh, geez, last time I checked, there were I don't know, several, probably two dozen or more different brands, and they don't all fall into the 16, 20, or 24 millimeter neighborhood. And this could be important because it's important to get a good fit. So if there is one that falls in between those sizes, mm, yeah. Now, a question that I get frequently is, who should you fit the shield to? Because you realize that when I'm talking about that 16, 20, or 24 millimeter, I'm talking about the nipply part, okay? Not the outside rim base part, okay? So, uh, there's lots of brands, and if you go online, you can find way more and, and I can guarantee you, you're going to see some you've never seen before because a while ago I had a client who had really just needed a different size. And so I just really went hunting and I'm astonished that not only are there different sizes, there are different shapes and all sorts of things that, um, you know, I just really didn't realize were out there if, if you're just willing to go down that road. So, I think a big question that you need to raise for yourself. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, and somewhere between preparing for the show and delivering the show, I lost my notes. So I'm kind of winging it here. But uh, there is a new one that is out that is a one-size-fits-all, and it's called the Haka. And that has a base, and it has a nipply part that actually looks much more like a bottle nipple, a nipple that would be atop a bottle. It's much longer, uh, it's a different configuration, and the manufacturer claims that because it's superior because it has, um, it's all made all in one piece. There are no joints, no creases, anything. I honestly don't know if that makes any difference or not. I, I, I don't know, uh, but it has been fairly popular. So let's look at why someone would want or need a nipple shield in the first place. And that would be probably to help with an inverted nipple or a nipple that is very, very short. Now, some people call those flat nipples. I don't call them flat nipples. I call them short nipples. But in any event, the baby is having trouble grasping the, the nipple. 
It could be the mother's anatomical build, but it could be that the baby has some sort of difficulty either with his anatomical oral structure or because he is neurologically impaired in some way. And, and that would include, by the way, the premature baby. Premature babies can be all put together correctly in terms of their anatomy, but because they're so immature, their neuromuscular abilities are somewhat limited. And so the, the shield can be very helpful for preterm babies. If you heard my absolutely wonderful uh, interview with Dr. Tina Fry, she talked a lot about how she uses them successfully with preterm babies. And I felt that she gave a very compelling case, probably more compelling of a case than I would give. So that is well worth following up on if you're looking for another resource. Now, shields are worn during the feeding. And the reason I emphasize that is that many people confuse shields with shells. Now, breast shells are worn between feedings. and I'm going to talk about those a little bit later. So, I have seen, and one of the things that inspired me, I guess, to, to do this segment is that there was somebody that I knew whose cousin went to a lactation consultant, and the lactation consultant immediately gave her the nipple shields. Did she need them? Yeah. Probably not since it was in the first day or so. I would be very reluctant to give a shield in the first day. As a matter of fact, I probably would not because what little bit of milk that you get, what little bit of colostrum that you get is likely to get caught in the shield. And I'm not convinced that the baby is going to get that. So that's just me. You ask somebody different, you'll get a different answer. Uh, but at any rate... I think that what's important to recognize is that sometimes people are too eager to use the shield. So this is kind of my rule of thumb, which is most babies, if they are not having any anatomical difficulties, their oromuscular uh, anatomy is all put together the way it should be, they are at term, they've got strong muscles, etc. That shield should go by the end of the third day, okay? However, that would not be true for a baby who has some special difficulty or the mother has some special difficulty. Then I would say you could be looking at a week. And if you're looking at a baby who is premature, yeah, that's, that's a lot of individualizing. So I would be hesitant to give any exact directive on that. Uh, I would say, however, that in my experience, I have seen nipple shields grossly overused. So just saying. And I also want to remind you that I have spoken for one whole hour on shields. So I'm going to kind of gloss over some of it here today. I do want to talk to you a little bit about the research, however. There are tens, dozens of studies out there as related to nipple shields. Most of them are small sample sizes. Most of them are uh, not all that well designed and results are not all that compelling. So I would say use of shields uh, is unproven. 
Maybe that's the best way in terms of their efficacy unproven. That said, I would also say that sometimes the shields have not been used correctly, and in which case, then whatever result you get from the study, I don't know that that amounts to a hill of beans, because if the shield is not being used correctly, well, then no, it's not, it's not going to look like it's effective. So I think that that's a big piece. And I have seen, as I said, I've seen shields overused, used too soon, used too much, used too long. But I have also seen them used incorrectly, and you cannot expect any device to work if it is used incorrectly. So first of all, when the shield is applied, it should be, well, there's different ways to put them on, but I kind of, I'm using my hands to show you right this moment here. Uh, I tip up the, I, I make them look like, like a hat, and I pull the rim up, and then I smooth them onto the breast. I personally think that it's hugely important to either wet them at the very least, or preferably I like to soak them because the shield becomes a lot more malleable when it's soaked for a few minutes. And people say to me, Maureen, how long? Well, I don't know. While well, I'm doing some other task, but uh, you know, a minute or two maybe. The next thing is you really got to make sure that the baby has a big open wide, just as he would if he did not have the shield on. So he needs to be not only on the nipply part, he needs to be having his mouth cover what would be the human nipple and the human areola, except that now it's just covered with the shield. I also have gone ape nuts about this in the past, and I don't know how to say it any differently, but you absolutely must have a plan. This is an intervention. And any intervention should have a plan for why it started in the first place and how you're going to come away from it. My favorite example is crutches. You would not hear, you would not give somebody a set of crutches and say goodbye and good luck. You would have a plan for how that person was going to learn to use them, use them, get better, and stop using them. Also, some actions to avoid. Never cut the shield when you're trying to wean the baby off from the the shield. And there's a whole science to getting them weaned off. I can't go there today. But uh, no, definitely um, don't cut it. I would also say, look at what other, what other adjustments need to be made. For example, adjusting the baby's latch. Maybe the, they need a different size. Now, some people will say fit it to the mother. Some people will say fit it to the baby. I I don't know that I come down hard and fast on either one of those, actually. Some days I do, some days I don't. And some people uh, will use the shield with a nursing supplementer, and we're going to talk about those a little bit later. Uh, personally, I think that's a little bit tricky. So lots of pros and cons. I would suggest to you that if this is something that seems like it is too good to be true, sometimes it is. And I think that shields need to be used in the right for for the right reasons and in the right way. So that's as much as I have to say about shields. And next, I'm going to talk about breast shells. So don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And if you're enjoying this and if you've ever thought about becoming a lactation consultant, I'd just like to tell you that there's plenty of opportunities. I'm going to be teaching my comprehensive lactation course live in several different cities. You can go to my website. That is breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, breastfeedingoutlook.com. I also have an online course which has been used literally around the globe and you'll find that I will be discussing these sorts of things as well as many others as related to good breastfeeding management. Okay, so we left off talking about nipple shields and I said they're different than breast shells. So now I'm going to talk about breast shells. 
Breast shells are firm and they're like a dome-like device. I would say that they are used for basically two purposes, either to help evert an inverted nipple and you wear them in between feedings, or they are used to keep clothing off from uh, a tender nipple. And again, you would be wearing them in between the feedings. Now, Nobody seems to have any issues with wearing shells in between the feedings if it's just to keep the clothing off from tender nipples. Okay, we're, we're all good with that. Where I think the controversy really comes is whether or not they are useful in helping inverted nipples to evert. Lots of dispute around that. And I don't know that I have, I don't have time to go into all of the whys and wherefores of why I believe what I believe, but I will tell you this. There have been very, very few studies on shells. To the best of my recollection, the first studies were, the first study, I should say, was done in 1953, I believe. And since then, we've only had maybe a dozen or so studies on the use of shells. And the two that really come to my mind were uh, the study done by Alexander and her colleagues, and another one that was, uh, actually, I believe that she did that also, it was called the Maine study, and I, I think both of those were in 1991. Now, those were both really poorly done studies, I'm sorry to say. They also did not use the type of shells that we have today. I don't know that we can extrapolate those results, so I'm not impressed. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, we've really got to look at when should these things be applied if we're going to apply them? Well, they can be applied in the late prenatal period, but not before 36 weeks. Why so? Well, because in theory, in reality, I don't know, but in theory, it could increase the amount of circulating oxytocin in the mom because of that pressure that's on the nipples. And if so, then in theory, that could put her into labor. I've never known of that to actually happen, but it, in theory, at least it could. Now here's, an, so if you get them on at 36 weeks, gradually, and by the way, uh, you do have to do it gradually. I think that that's more helpful than if you do it later in the game. But you can also start the use of shells during labor or you can use them during the postpartum period. And I think the moral to the story is it's never too late to try, but at least in my experience, the later that you start the use of the shells, the less likely you are to actually see any results. I would also say that sometimes I have seen fairly uh, quick results, sometimes within you know, several hours, few hours. But I would also say that if you don't see any results inside of a couple of weeks, two weeks, yeah, they're probably just not going to work. If, if you use the shells as directed, then I would say, no, it's just not going to work. They don't work for everybody. So your question should be, so Marie, why do you like shells? Well, because they're fairly cheap. They're easily accessible. You can buy them online. You can buy them locally. Uh, they're relatively low risk, low intervention. And I think they're worth a try. So if they work, they work. If they don't, they don't. But I think that they're, as I say, worth a try. So um, 
what about the, the research studies? Yeah, I, I've just said there's very few, so I, I won't redo that. I do think that another issue, though, that is often overlooked is that sometimes one brand will work better than another brand for certain people. And I think that's because the shell has to be snug but not tight. And in order to do that, yeah, I think you kind of got to be it's one once one brand does not fit everybody the same it's like shoes okay i would also say be alert to the possibility that a plugged duct can develop i don't think that happens very often but it certainly can and does happen because the shell puts pressure on the ducts so again you know don't lose any sleep over this but anything that develops into a pink spot a hot spot, a warm spot, that is probably a plugged duct waiting to happen. So the pros of this device, shells can work. I have certainly seen them work and they're worth a shot. Uh, the cons of the device, yeah, sometimes people just don't like using them. They don't like wearing them. They don't like fiddling with them. They don't like the feel of them. And they don't like the fact that they don't work instantly because quite honestly, uh, they really don't work instantly. I have developed a very good handout that I have used for my own clients. And you can download a copy of that handout at mariebiancuso.com. I will repeat that. It's mariebiancuso.com. So I think that's about as much as I have to say about breast shells. The next thing is nursing supplementers. And there are different kinds of nursing supplementers. They're made by different companies. And even one company has two different ones that they make. They're both a little different. So in some senses here, I'm going to be painting with a bit of a broad brush. But I want to make sure that you understand kind of the ins and the outs to the nursing supplementer. The main function of the nursing supplementer is to deliver more food to the baby while the baby nurses. And that food can be the mother's milk. It could be donor milk. It could be formula. And that's fine. The nursing supplementer will, accom uh, will accommodate any of those. And the device's tubes, or I should say tube or tubes, are placed Near the mother's nipple on the breast, there's some uh, specific directions for how to do that. And you can do them different ways, actually. Uh, but the idea is that the baby will be giving the mother's breast stimulation. He will be getting her milk while he's also getting whatever is in the container. So again, brands are different. It's kind of tough to generalize, but uh, the container holds the milk. And there is one tube, and generally one tube goes to one breast, one tube goes to the other breast, although Kitty Francis used uh, two tubes on one breast. That's another discussion. And they're made, as far as I know, of some kind of plastic. I'm really not sure what. And uh, what you're looking for here is how, 
what where the container goes and how to use it and how brands are a little bit different. So one of the things I want to point out here is that the mother who needs stimulation, for example, she's relactating or maybe she is inducing lactation, the nursing supplementer would be a really good device to use with her, okay? Because it's going to give stimulation to the breast, helps the hormones to get going, life is good, okay? It might be that she's trying to nurse her own baby. It might be uh, trying to nurse an adopted baby. Any of those situations would be a good setup for why to use the nursing supplementer. Now, let's say that the mother has a low milk supply. For example, maybe she has had previous breast surgery. Uh, I'm thinking reduction here, but it could be something else. And if so, maybe she's got almost a full supply, but not really a full supply. Okay, great. She has got a baby who is suckling well, and the nursing supplementer might be just the ticket. Here's another one. Now, I've used the supplementer with a baby who's failure to thrive. But the caveat here is that baby needs to have a robust suck. He needs to be a strong baby, not a wimpy little baby. Okay. And the reason I say that is that some kids with failure to thrive are so out of energy, so weak, that they really can't hold their own. And if so, yes, you could use the supplementer. But if you did, then you would want to have the mother expressing her milk afterwards because the stimulation that that baby gives her is not going to be enough for her body to know that it's supposed to be making more milk. I hope this is making sense to you. All right. So babies have some special needs. Uh, but again, they can get the mother's milk and the mother may need to hand express or pump her milk so that she can completely drain the breast. The point that I'm trying to make here, and this is really hard to explain, because I'm not saying that a weak baby cannot use the supplementer. I'm saying he can use the supplementer, and hopefully he will be able to use it better and better as he goes along. But that's not going to be enough. His sucking is not going to be enough to give the mother the adequate stimulation that she needs. Okay, so... Let's talk a little bit about how to actually use these things. First of all, you need to decide which size tube you want to use. And to start the flow, you generally just squeeze the fluid from the container and into the tubes, and then you clamp off the tube that you're not using. You have to make sure that you have proper positioning of the tubes. And by the way, there's some good YouTubes that describe this stuff. And adjust the flow rate. Watch the baby. You want to have it so that the baby is rewarded for his efforts, but it shouldn't be too free-flowing, okay? So there's some different ways that you can adjust that flow rate. To me, the best way to adjust the flow rate is to use a different size tube. Now, with one product that I'm thinking of, the large tubing is... Um, 0.85 millimeters in diameter, and it has a clear top. The medium size is 0.75 millimeters in diameter. It has a white top. 
and the small tubing is 0.65 millimeters in diameter. It has a red top, okay? So you can just, and honestly, you don't always know the first time which one you want to use. And it will, it will change as the baby becomes stronger. The other thing, though, that you can do to adjust the flow is you can adjust the height of the device where it's worn. And you can also kind of squeeze the container. A rigid container doesn't squeeze as well as a soft container. And that's going to depend on your brand. Uh, you could also try warming the milk. Sometimes it works a little better that way. It flows a little faster. Or you can use two tubes on one breast, but that is a whole other, that takes a lot of explanation. Uh, Kitty France is the first one that came up with that, as far as I know. And uh, Kitty has been uh, a highly respected nurse practitioner for many, many years. Kitty, Kitty would probably rather I not tell you how many years. <laughs> Uh, I respect Kitty as a professional, but she also is a friend. She has eaten at my table, slept in my guest room. She knows her stuff. So let's think a little bit about the principles for selecting these or using or discontinuing. And that is that weak or preterm infants just sometimes just can't suckle vigorously enough to provide the stimulation. So then you're going to need to use uh, expressing and um, sometimes, because of the tubes, premature babies who have had a lot of tube feeding, if they have been in the NICU, for example, they may be very adverse to feeling that tube in their mouth. So I'm just saying, if the baby turns off, that might be part of it. Um, some advantages, though, is that the... Uh, the supplementer avoids the parents' concerns about nipple confusion. Now, nipple confusion has never really been proven, but I will tell you there are babies that you really do believe that they have it. Others seems to not bother them. It also allows the baby to meet his suckling needs, all right? Kids have to suck. They like to suck. It facilitates good skin-to-skin -skin contact, and it provides at least some stimulation to the mother's breast. There are, however, some distinct cons to this thing. First of all, they're very awkward to get on. I can think of one mother that I worked with who always referred to it as that contraption. She just hated it. Uh, some of the devices are uh, evident under the clothing, and some people just, just really don't want to be seen that way. They have limited usefulness for the mother's milk supply if the baby doesn't suckle vigorously. So that's my, my big thing with that. I would also say there are some really good YouTubes that you can watch. I will try to see if I can compile at least a couple of those for you. They are well worth watching. And this thing is well worth considering. But I would just say... Um, Use it, use it in a way where it is advantageous instead of disadvantageous. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed, where today we're talking about these technological gadgets, gizmos that can either facilitate breastfeeding if used appropriately, or sometimes kind of not so much so. So I'd like to talk about the special needs feeder, or some of you may know this as the Haberman feeder. And let's talk first about what it does. Its main function was that it was originally developed by Mandy Haberman. Uh, She developed it to help babies with facial or oral problems, those that could not maintain adequate suction while feeding at the breast. Now, the teat part,
part is made out of silicone and it can deliver milk flow in a way that will absolutely suit the baby's needs. I shouldn't say absolutely, but I guess I should say it's designed to uh, adjust to suit the baby's needs. And there are three little marks that are on the device. And the caregiver can choose the little mark that will give the best flow so that the, uh, the flow comes out at a rate that the baby can cope with it, okay? So the device has a specially designed valve and the silicone feeder adjusts the milk flow to suit the baby's needs. Um, the, the nipple part, and by the way, they usually call this a teat. I sometimes call it a chamber. It's very elongated. It's not like what you would see on a regular uh, nipple. So there are really four main parts. There's the lid, the teat, the membrane, and the valve plate. What you're most interested in here is that teat, the one that I said is kind of elongated, which, by the way, I've used this for, with babies that have uh, a cleft or babies that have micronathia, babies with um, uh, Pierrot-Band syndrome, any of that sort of thing. And um, then you put this on top of a bottle. There are two different sizes. One is uh, smaller. It has a smaller teat. And the larger one has a larger teat. So you can use it with a smaller or a larger baby. And uh, some brands, if you're in a different country, you're going to know these as by different names, different brands. You might be uh, calling it the special needs feeder. You might be calling it the Haberman feeder. Uh, so... Again, I would say they're really helpful for what they were designed for. But actually, uh, I have found that they're helpful for other things, too. Uh, sometimes I think that they're helpful for babies that have some sort of neurologic difficulty or even for babies that have been exposed to drugs in utero, even if they're taking formula. Maybe they're not breastfed at all. But if you've ever worked with a baby like that, you know that they kind of have their tongue all over their mouth. And I think... I think the special needs feeder is worth a try there. So going back to those three little marks, the smallest line gives you zero flow, all right? So if the baby's struggling, you can just twist it so that you have zero flow. The middle line is for a moderate flow, and the longest line is for maximum flow. So to use it, these three lines which, by the way, sometimes <laughs> sometimes are kind of hard to see, you want to point the line towards the baby's nose, okay? Towards the nose, that is, not, not towards the chin. And you can change where the, loin, where the line is pointing and hence what the flow rate is during the feeding if you need to. Now, assembling this thing is a little bit tricky. Because first you have to squeeze any excess air out of the teat, and then you tip the bottle upside down, and you fill the chamber. I'm not sure that I can really describe that very well. I would really have to, that's 
one of the difficulties of doing things with audio only is that I'm sitting here kind of doing it with my hands, but you can't see what I'm doing. But um, there are some good YouTubes on this. Again, I would say if you've got to do it, make sure you know what you're doing before you actually use it. Now, that slit opening closes when the baby sucks. That's how it works. So therefore, the baby will not get overwhelmed with the flow. That is kind of the beauty of uh, using this, this feeder. So let's talk a little bit then about what would be some of the pros and cons. Uh, to me, the big pro is this thing really works, okay? I've used it. I've liked it. Um, I believe that it truly does what it says it will do. And for some kids, I have used it because we've used other alternative feeding devices and the parent just doesn't like it. And I pull this thing out and somebody says, oh, wow, this is so much better. Okay, good. We're good. A big drawback, however, is that the membrane can wear out. And as far as I am aware, and I will take correction if I'm wrong, but I do not believe that you can replace that membrane without replacing the entire device. The device itself sells for about 30 US dollars. And if that little membrane wears out, it, the whole thing is useless. It just doesn't work, okay? So I would say uh, that can, is a possible drawback. Some mothers have worn these out in as little as a month or so. So if money is no object or if you can get the baby to not need it in a short space of time, hey, you're good to go. But I would just say that is definitely a con for a device which otherwise has a lot of pros. Okay, let's talk then a little bit about nipple everters. Oh, brother. Um, these are different depending on which brand that you use. So again, it's going to be hard for me to talk about it without talking about a specific brand. Uh, but what happens is that if a mother has a very short nipple or a truly inverted nipple, it's possible that the baby himself can actually pull that nipple out. And so these devices might not be necessary. Or you could use a pump to try to pull the nipple out. But sometimes lugging that pump around is kind of a nuisance. So generally, I would say that these are used early in the game. Sometimes they work really, really well. Other times, uh, not so much so. But again, I would reiterate what I said earlier, which is they're fairly inexpensive. Uh, they're fairly easily accessible. They're worth a try. So that would be... Uh, a big issue for me is what is the downside? You really don't have much to lose. Um, I don't know that I really have a whole lot more to say about them other than, um, yeah, they're worth a try. They absolutely are. Another one that I get questions about is the hydrogel dressing. Okay, we got to back up a ways. Hydrogel dressings, were originally created for post-surgical wound healing, okay? 
I cannot remember the last time I worked on a surgical floor. I'm sure it was decades ago. Uh, but uh, around the 1990s or so, maybe in the early to mid-1990s, somebody came up with the idea that maybe these would be helpful for healing sore nipples. So then they started making them into these sort of round pads. They do have a cooling effect, and you can put them in the refrigerator because then they have even more of a cooling effect. And my experience is that if I give this to a mother once, she's delighted with it and never wants to give it up. The caution that I would offer is make sure that you get to the root of your problem of why you've got the sore nipples in the first place. Just putting the hydrogel dressing on or the gel dressing or whatever you want to call it. Some of them are made of glycerin. Some of them are made of saline. Uh, but, but just putting that on is not going to help unless you figure out why do you have the sore nipples in the first place? Okay? So that would be important. So how do you actually use these? Well, if, if it has a plastic cover, you would first remove the plastic cover, of course. And then just kind of pat your nipple dry. And you don't necessarily need to wash it. Then put the gel side of the pad towards the body. And then put the, the backing facing away from the body. All righty. And you can have these on in between feedings. Then, of course, eventually the baby is going to be hungry. So you have to feed the baby. So the whole idea then is to remove the, the pad and place it on a clean surface at the time when you need to take it off to feed the baby. All right. These things are reusable. And as far as I know, every brand is reusable. If they seem oversaturated, however, you probably need to toss them. I don't know. It really depends on how much milk is leaked. Uh, they do hold more than twice their weight. Some of them will hold up to three times their weight. But I would say that most mothers can use the, the same pad at least for one whole day. Some mothers can use the pads uh, like maybe up to three days, and that would be fine. I would say, however, that if they seem like they are too gunky, they need to get tossed, meaning better safe than sorry. If you are worried about infection, any time that you have a tissue that is macerated, that is waterlogged, or any time that you have something sweet there, and let's face it, human milk is sweet, all of that could be problematic. So when in doubt, throw it out. So that's all I have to say about that. I want to talk about some other devices that have been used for feeding. You know, honestly, in ancient times, there were a variety of non-bottle devices that were used in feeding. And in modern day, uh, we're kind of in this bottle-centric society, so such devices are often looked upon with a lot of skepticism. And there's really little justification for bottles as the best or even the default method. So I'd like to look at a couple of other things. For example, spoons. Now, while a spoon may seem like something that a toddler would use, truth is that a newborn can use that. And I had a wonder wonderful interview with Mary Foley. She talked about the fact that 
the amount that fits on one of those little spoons is just about the amount that a baby can swallow. And so that is a good reason to use a spoon. Now, uh, another thing is you can put that right up to the nipple, especially during the cholesterol phase, and you don't lose anything because you don't have to transfer it to anywhere. You can just feed it directly to the baby. The downside of the spoon, however, is that the baby might not get his suckling need met if you're always using the spoon. But be that as it may, I still think that the spoon, at least in some circumstances, is a good thing. Now, what about cups? I could talk about cups all day long, but cup feeding is an alternative feeding method that is recommended by the World Health Organization in baby-friendly hospitals. It can be used by full-term or preterm infants. And in underdeveloped countries, a <clears throat> cup <laughs> is actually an adult mug. But honestly, even that can work well. Now, here in the U.S., we often use one of those little 30cc plastic medicine cups uh, because it's malleable, it's handy, it's easy to use. I think you'll see what the research says actually does happen in real life, and that is that preterm babies tend to lap the milk whereas term babies tend to sip the milk. But unless the infant has some serious structural defect, he's pretty likely to do really well with cup feedings. I created a cup feeding for my own hospital several years ago, and I published that along with the technique that makes it work. But here's the most important thing. Just make sure that you wait for the baby to swallow before you offer more milk. That is the key to safely using cup feeding. Now, there's a there's actually more than one research study out there that uh, shows the safety and efficacy of cup feeding. But as with other alternative feeding methods, um, experts voice concern that newborns might aspirate during a cup feeding while ignoring the fact that, oh, hello, bottle-fed newborns can aspirate too. So I guess I'm just saying, look at things in context. Now, there was one study that identified spillage as a disadvantage to cup feeding. I, I seriously question this. I have cup fed, I, I have no idea how many kids I've cup fed, including many, many premature babies. And I have noted that if you know how to use it, you, you use the technique correctly, and if you're coordinated, you don't spill. So I, I just don't buy that. I think that's a training issue. However, a big disadvantage of the cup feeding is that, once again, newborn does not have uh, the ability to suck. All right. So today we did not get a chance to talk about uh, syringe feeding. And basically, I'm not real keen on syringe feeding. And I did not get to talk about the uh, palladi. Uh, both of those are absolutely... Uh, possible. I've used both of those methods, uh, but I think we got to call it a day. I kind of made up my mind today that I was going to go as long as we could go, and now we've just gone that long, <laughs> so we got to close out. I do want to thank you so much for being here. If you have found this show helpful, please share it with your friends and let us know on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. Uh, those ratings really help us. Meanwhile, I got to sign out. I will be here next week. And in the meanwhile, you should remember your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 